Welcome to the All In My Head podcast. We're glad you decided to give this podcast a listen. We're a group of teens that are making a podcast for youth by youth. We will counter stereotypes around mental health in the teen, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus community and talk about things you might find a little uncomfortable. It's real teens, real talk. Hello. Thank you for choosing to listen to the All In My Head podcast today. Today we will be talking about sexual assault. We will hear from the Sexual Assault Resource Center, as well as someone who has lived experience with sexual assault. This episode contains descriptions of sexual assault that could be potentially triggering. Please take care of yourself while listening. Hello, my name's Lauren. I'm one of the members from the All In My Head podcast. Will you please introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Yarit. Pronouns are they, he, A-A-L, and I am the coordinator for social change at SARC. SARC is a sexual assault resource center. Could you please explain what the sexual assault resource center is and what they do? So we're an organization in Washington County, uh, and I believe it was founded in 1997. We specifically support people who've experienced sexual violence, any form of sexual violence. And we have a couple of different services. Do you want me to go into that? Yes, please. If you could, could you talk a little bit more about the resources offered at SARC? Yeah, of course. So we have a support line, and that is anywhere in Oregon. It doesn't just have to be Washington County. We will have folks that call from like different states, um, and we will take those calls. It really just comes down to like we really can't do much about like offering them resources because we are based in in Washington County. Um, So we have that support line. We also have a crisis response, um, which that is uh, a service uh, that folks go to. Well, right now with COVID, it's a little different. But basically, if there's a crisis, we have folks that are on call that will come in support with any kind of, um, like figuring out housing stability, figuring out if someone's at the hospital and is needing support. Um, or advocacy. So it really just kind of depends on what the crisis is. And then we have case managers. And what case managers do is that they take on um, different clients that need support um, and they connect them to different resources. So for example, if someone is having housing instability or insecurities, then they can connect with one of our case managers and they will look for resources with them to like figure out what, what their needs are. And then we have free counseling and our elder program is counseling for folks. We currently have two folks that are working that program. Um, We do offer Spanish-speaking services. I believe we offer multilingual services. I'm not sure what the other languages are within staff, but we also have like an interpreter line that we can connect folks to if needed as well. And then we have the community education and prevention, which is myself and my manager or supervisor, Lindsay. And yeah, so we do spaces like this with you, um, educating community uh, trainings, uh, advocacy trainings. Yeah, it can get real creative with our program just because there's different intersections that we can support in. Yeah, thank you so much for going into what the Sexual Assault Resource Center is and the supports that are offered throughout the program.
Could you talk a little bit about why a trauma-informed response is important when working with people who have experienced sexual assault? Yeah, so sexual violence is a form of trauma that can impact people. And so being trauma-informed means recognizing that someone has experienced that trauma and responding to them in a way that makes it clear that we value them and we value their safety, right? So that is what we are prioritizing is their safety and that we are here to support them and whatever, like they are the experts in their lives and we're here to support them on moving in the safest way. There's different ways of going about trauma, like response spaces. But anyway, so it is important. So we know, depending if someone is in crisis, like recognizing how can we support you right now that you're in this crisis in a safe way, right? Like not just for yourself, but like for everyone else in this space. And how can we ground you in a way that we're not telling you what to do or making you feel small. So making sure that we're not like telling people what to do. And it's more of like, these are your options and we're here to support you like in a non-judgmental way. So yeah, does that answer that question? Yeah, that is great. Are there any resources that you can think of like nationwide that help support people who have experienced sexual assault? I, I don't think I mentioned this, but it's free and confidential. So, and it's offered 24 seven and we've had folks from all over the US uh, reach out to us in the same way that they reach out to services like, so I'm trans myself. And so I know that if I ever needed some kind of like trans or queer service, I would call the transnational hotline, right? And so usually what I would do with that is just like Google trans services um, nationally. That is saying that, you know, like I have my phone to do that and I'm able to look into those resources. But really it comes like we have different national services. We have ourselves. And if you give us a call, we can connect you to other national services. It really just kind of depends on like what is the specific need, um, like with sexual violence, but what are other needs that you are needing within that? Yeah, so it really just depends on like what exactly folks are needing, but there's different national organizations that we can connect you to. Um, we also have resources on our website about other organizations that are nationally covered, so. Thanks so much for going over those other resources that are available to people. Just doing a simple Google search is always beneficial to find a lot of resources. And from what it sounds like, SART can also be one of those connectors to help you connect to people who are more like fit to talk to you, right? Yeah, so like I said, it just goes down to like what, what you are needing in that moment and we can like do a warm handoff to another organization um, or you can chat with us and we can figure it out. Like I said, we have different folks that are on, on call and like that's what we're here for, right? To connect you to other services if we happen to not be the service that you are needing. Thanks so much for going into that a little bit. As a teen-focused podcast here, could you talk a little bit more about how you can be a support for someone who has experienced sexual assault as a teenager? Yeah, so it's super awkward to like have those conversations. At, I mean, honestly, at, at any age to be able to, like if you're recognizing that harm is happening, it's really weird to reach out and be like, hey, are you good? Like what's going on? So what I would welcome folks to do and when I'm working with youth and also how I navigated when I was a teenager, I've been doing this work since I was like 18. And I remember it was super awkward for like <laughs> me to go into spaces and talk to teenagers that looked the same age as me and that were the same age as me when I would go and do presentations at like high schools and stuff. I would always get like weird stares of like, yo, like, why are you having that conversation right now? Like, that's, we don't want to talk about that right now. And all of that is valid. Like, it's super uncomfortable to know that someone is going through harm, right? It's super uncomfortable to like recognize that you see it. 
And so really it's just like approaching it and there's different ways that you can do it. Like if we're talking about in a like body language way, just making sure that your body language is very soft and very calm, that it doesn't feel like there's any like, maybe not aggression, but yeah, that you're not like looking like you have like heavy energy, if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense, but just like making sure that you're relaxed so you can open that space for folks to feel welcome to like unpack if they feel or like if they want to talk about these things. The second thing I would welcome folks to do is make sure that you talk in a very like low and calm tone, making sure that you're not like sounding like, yo, you good? Like, <laughs> or like what's going on or sounding judgmental or like that you are creating a space that is welcoming. I know that other things that I would do to make folks feel a little bit more comfortable, just being like, hey, do you mind like if we go for a walk together? Or do you mind if we go to like a coffee shop and we get some tea or some coffee and making sure that they're also in a place where they can have that conversation, right? Like maybe pulling them aside in the middle of class or like at a party or wherever you're at, just making sure that the environment is also welcoming, that you can hear them, that they have enough space around them, that they feel safe. Uh, I know that when folks have called me and when I was a teenager, when I was experiencing violence, it felt really good when people were just kind of giving me my space to really breathe because in that moment when you ask someone it can feel really overwhelming and it can be triggering as well so yeah just making sure that you're in a space that feels spacious checking your body language checking your tone of voice again not moving in a judgmental way and also like making sure that you're okay because that's a lot for yourself to carry too so if you can lean on a friend or if you can lean on an adult or a mentor I know that for me growing up I didn't really know how to talk to people my age when I was seeing violence or just like awkward things going on or something that didn't feel right so um, I had enough like trust and built relationships with adults where I could like ask them like hey this is what's going on I don't know how to support them like what do you recommend I do can you have this conversation with me with them and also making sure that you like ask for consent when doing this, like making sure that you are straight up about what you're about to do. Because sometimes when we, it's not like we're trying to be tricky about it, but I've seen how folks maybe don't say like, hey, like we want to talk about this and you kind of like trick them into it. I've seen that happen with teens before where it just, it feels not safe, right? When you're not asked for consent. But yeah, there's different ways I can go about this all day, but I hope that that makes sense. Yeah, one question I have is, I know with some suicide hotlines, they offer support for how to support peers if they think their peers having suicidal thoughts and needs help like addressing that. Is that a service the Sexual Assault Resource Center offers? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, y'all can connect with our support line and they will most likely connect you to myself or like Lindsay. Unless it's like you are needing direct services, we're more indirect services where we're just like, building relationships with community, letting folks know that these are like the services that we have, introducing them to them. But if it's a conversation on how to navigate conversations like this, like, yeah, you could just reach out to us and Lindsay and I would love to support you in like having those conversations and also like creating a safety plan for, for everyone, right? Like, cause it carries heavy on everyone. Yeah, thank you so much for addressing that. And I think that answers all of our questions. Now that we have heard from the Sexual Assault Resource Center, we will be hearing from someone with lived experience with sexual assault. Hi. I'm not going to say my name, but thanks for listening, whoever's listening. In place of my name, I'm going to use X if I have to use my name. I'm 15 years old, and I was asked to share some of my story and what events followed after. 
First, I want to say that I'm okay. I'm okay as any person who was sexually assaulted is. The police have been involved and he is now in jail. So, on December 16th, I was coming home from practice on the bus. There was a guy on the back of the bus who was asleep. He was asleep. I didn't think much of it, but then he woke up. He woke up and he apologized for being asleep, which seemed a little weird to me and I just went back to looking at my phone. Then he was on the back row and he slid over to me. He put his arm around me and he started touching my thigh. I have always been a person who has been really aware of my surroundings and also I have quick reactions to things that happen. I've always been a person who likes to film and take photos and videos of everything and anything that happens. And I've been told to stop doing that because for some reason that annoys people. But in this situation, I was able to take out my phone and I filmed him. I filmed his face, I filmed what he was doing, and I even asked him what his name was and how old he was. I didn't tell him my name. I told him my age on camera and over the video you could tell that. I asked him how old he was and he said he was 21 years old and I said that I was 15. I asked him what his name was and he said his name was Jesus. Later we found out his identity, which I'm not going to reveal, but he did not give either of those two pieces of information. Neither of those pieces of information were correct. The incident has affected my mental health because it's just, it's uncomfortable to be around people now. Like even with COVID, it's like you don't want to be close to people. You want to be six feet at least because that's what we've been used to. But with this incident now, I don't want to be near anybody. I hate when people touch me. Only my significant other is allowed to even just like give me hugs basically. And it's gotten better, definitely has, but at the beginning, I wouldn't let anybody touch me, not even my parents, not even my best friends. People would bump into me and I would just shiver. Uh, the admin and staff responded to me quite well at my school. The day after the incident, I came into the building and told them what happened, let them know that it had already been reported to the police because as teachers and administrators of my school, they are mandatory reporters and so they do have to report anything that puts me or somebody else in danger. They helped me a little bit with any questions and said that they could help with getting me an advocate, and I already have one now, but they said that they could help me with that. I checked in with my teachers and they were all really understanding. They just were like, yeah, totally just chill out, keep yourself healthy and everything. I did not stay the entire day. I stayed for my fifth period and then I left, I went home. I had a cold as well that I was trying to get over and also was just not mentally able to really be in the building. It wasn't really directly affecting me. Like I wasn't crying and I wasn't shaking, but I was just sort of ghostly in the building. I just sort of wasn't there, but I was there. And I don't know much about how the law works. I don't know how that process goes or why things happen the way things happen. I know that the justice system is very messed up. 
And I don't fully understand why you only have to pay 10% of your bail. In order for him to be released from the charges that are being pressed by the state, in my behalf, he only has to pay 10%. 10% of 5000 which means he only has to pay 500 He was not registered as an Oregon sex offender before my situation in which he had already committed sexual harassment against another person and was not registered as a sex offender. Oregon needs to immediately register the sex offenders that are listed because it keeps people safe and it informs people's decisions and it gives people the information they need. We deserve to know who has made like one of the worst things you can do to somebody else. We deserve to know that. And we deserve to be able to keep our friends and family safe. I think also, since this was on a Portland public bus, there are multiple cameras. And I think that we should have access to that footage immediately, no matter what situation it is. I've requested for the footage from the bus. And because it was on a case, I was not allowed to retrieve it. And yes, technically... I am not prosecuting him myself, but the state is. And it's still, theoretically, in my mind, it feels like it's part of my case because I am the victim in this situation and I am not allowed to see that footage. I have the footage that I have. I want to see the footage from the bus. And they're not letting me because it is being used as evidence in this case. Obviously, he is playing not guilty, which I think is ridiculous. I I understand that obviously nobody wants to go to jail, nobody wants to go to prison, but because there was at least two cameras on the bus and the recordings I had, there is no way that he would win this case if it were to go to trial. The likelihood is very slim that it will be taken to trial apparently. It is likely that he'll probably take a plea deal, apparently. I've asked a couple of people uh, who know more about law than I do, and that's what they've said. But I learned that you can't pay yourself out of jail, which I think is great. He will have to take time. He is in jail already. He will be in there till July. I did not immediately tell the bus driver when... It happened. I first went to a boy that I recognized on the bus. If you, if he listens to this, you being there helped me a lot. Um, I first went to him and I sat down next to him and I said I told him what happened and he was he just told me to stay next to him and that I should tell the bus driver when he gets off just to look after me. And I don't expect him to know what to do. Of course, he was. He's probably maybe a couple years older than me, but him just being there and saying a little bit, being the familiar face really was helpful. I ended up telling the bus driver, but the guy had already gotten off the bus, so they weren't able to immediately arrest him. They were able to identify him because of the video that I took and that was able to get him arrested. Uh, When the police arrived on scene, it had been about 20 minutes that I was waiting on the bus. I was in the front of the bus now because that's where the person I knew was. And I was in the corner closest to like 
that giant gray box people lean on when they're on the bus in the seats that are facing each other. I was sitting in one in the corner. The police and the Portland city bus people, the person who is like, who facilitates and oversees everything, they were both there. The police showed up, the bus driver was there, my mom arrived and they asked for my information. They asked for my name, my age, and they asked me to tell them what happened. And I was able to give them all that information, but I immediately stated that I had a video of almost everything that happened. I couldn't film in two directions, but more importantly, I filmed him touching my thigh, uh, my inner thigh. And I think that they could have gotten all of the information they needed out of that video. I think that people who know that they're going to be sent to question a person who was sexually assaulted or raped, they should be sending a woman, for one. I think that most people would be a lot more comfortable with a woman, as well as the fact that I think that police need to be more well-trained in everything, but especially in dealing with situations like this. He was awkward and scared and uncomfortable and he asked me the same questions over again multiple times and of course people make mistakes and of course he would be nervous but they need more training because that doesn't help anybody to be sitting there having for people having to repeat the answers over and over again it's not fun like I have that video and and people I know and myself are incredibly proud that I have gotten, that I was able to film and I was able to ask him those questions. He didn't give me the right answers, but I was able to ask him those questions. But it means that I get to watch that over and over and over. So thank God that I was able to get that video, but it doesn't help get anything out of my head. The other thing affecting less of my mental health but more of just my life is that I don't let people touch me I barely hug people I barely let people touch me I stopped doing the sport that I was doing coming home from practice from because I didn't feel comfortable going and I had so many people sort of questioning like why I was going back or not going back and definitely I didn't want to go back because it wasn't safe COVID wise it wasn't safe but and it's not like the people there who made me feel unsafe I just didn't want anybody touching me and nobody except my coaches there really knew what had happened and I didn't want I didn't want to be there and I had people who I didn't tell anyone that that was the reason why I didn't want to go to practice. But I just told everybody it was COVID. So people were sort of like, stick it out, stick it out, stick it out. And nobody even thought of it. I just didn't want to go. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much to our guest speakers. And make sure to subscribe to the All In My Head podcast as well as follow us on Instagram at the underscore All In My Head podcast to make sure you're staying up to date on future episodes. Thank you. Have a nice day. This podcast was created using a grant from the Oregon Alliance to Prevent Suicide in partnership with the Association of Oregon Community Mental Health Programs and with funding from the Oregon Health Authority. The adult advisor is Nicole Mayer, music by Waterboy, shared on Pixabay.